Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm good and evil. I'd say it to you, face, not say it to you now. I want down to one field and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shawny man? Welcome, Second Captain's listeners, one and all, to this mid-post-Christmas slump week football show. I hope that you've all been enjoying Christmas even more than I have. And I want to say what an immense joy and privilege I feel it is to speak with you on this 28th of December. You can never take these things for granted. And we know that in life, you're never really sure if it's the last time you'll do something. I mean, there's always a last time. But you don't necessarily recognize it when it happens. Will it be the last time I fall in love? Will this be the last time I swim in the sea? Is it the last time that I eat a sandwich? Well, the other night I went to the pantomime. And I feel sure it was my last ever time. While it is frustrating to have what could have been a pleasant evening with family ruined, it's also refreshing and clarifying to feel certainty of a kind which is increasingly rare in these troubled times. There have been quite a few football games since our last football pod, many of which I'm sure you, like me, have been watching in the company of Owen McDevitt. Owen is not here today. He's been spending a lot of time hanging out with his new friends, Martin O'Neill, Kenny Cunningham, and Damien Delaney. I look forward to hearing more about that the next time he comes on here. In the meantime, it's our regular guest of Christmas week, Jonathan Wilson, who has, in his industrious way, been burrowing worm-like through the coffee grinds of Christmas football generating fertilizer of the mind. Will it be the last time we ever do this? I certainly hope not. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ronaldo, when I met Ronaldo, it was just a dream come true. And he said to me, are you okay? Because I was obviously, I was crying. Happy tears. That's not for me. Kids. The girl who got Ronaldo's shirt was on the Late Late Show. Christmas is for kids. Which, by the way, I don't agree with. No, it's so annoying, though. These kids, why do they need to be on the pitch? The pitch is for the players, the team, and the supporters. Come on. <laughs> Children who invade the pitch are... Are being invited onto the Late Late Show and showered with gifts? No, not for me. Well, how wonderful it is to be joined, uh, as always, at this time of the year by Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan, how have you been enjoying Christmas? I've had a really good Christmas. Thanks, Ken. How's, how's yours been? Yeah, you know, it's been it's been all right. It's been it's been not bad. I noticed just before I, I told you that I had to. Um, delay this recording due to unforeseen circumstances you said uh, that's all right no no worries we'll feed my worms yeah i've got a worm farm yeah is that a new thing no 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 i've had it i don't know like three years it's uh it's basically it was i realized that my coffee grounds were um they were excessive and they felt wasteful uh and now i've got a it's like a seven tier um Worm farm on on one of my balconies. Um, the balcony nobody goes on because obviously in the summer you get loads of flies around it. Yeah. And um, yeah, put in put in my coffee grounds and my vegetable waste, but but not not onions. They don't like onions. Um, paper as well. So um, uh, that that's handy for getting rid of documents that uh, you think yeah, shredding yeah. is not quite enough for. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they 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 produce a fertilizer which. Yeah, you know, if you if you ever came to my flat, you'd see how 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 feckin' the house plants and the plants on the on the terrace are. But it's it's a, they're, they're they're great creatures. They're, they're very low maintenance, uh, very warm, very friendly. Um, yeah, they 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 breed at an extraordinary rate. Um, really? So was it like a kind of a writhing mass of of worms at this point after three years? Uh, not quite. There's obviously some kind of limit in terms of space and in terms of. Um, yeah, feeding them, but but yeah, I th- it's something like one worm can produce. I think it's fourteen thousand offspring. They're, they're, they're hermaphrodites, so they just sort of, you know, two worms sort of just have to sort of brush against each other, and they create a little pod with a mini worm in it. Mm. Uh, I, I, that's the basics. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of, I wouldn't write that in a biology GCSE, but it's something like that. Uh, yeah, the, so I've got there's some massive worms in there now. It's uh, some of them, I'd say, like you know, I must be getting on for. 12, maybe 15 centimetres. They're huge. I thought you were going to say 12, 15 feet. No, 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 no. That's 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 the Lambton Wall, of course. Great Sunderland, Sunderland's uh, folk song. Um, well, he well, terrorised terrorised people around the River Weir. We can talk about Sunderland today, actually, which uh, which is unusual. Um, but they are uh, looming in somebody's 
future. Uh, before we get to anyhow, let's talk uh, a little bit about that game last night. There's an extremely corny quote from Pep Guardiola. Uh, he says, I remember on the plane coming back from Saudi Arabia and we were world champions and I listened to the players talking. They didn't know I was listening and they started to talk about Everton. I said, wow, this is my team. I have the feeling... <laughs> I have the feeling they still want to try. We play many games this season, and people say we are not the same. What do you make of that, uh, Jonathan? Are Manchester City the same? I mean, the results would suggest eh, maybe not quite the same, but, you know, they, they got the job done last night. The same or not the same? I don't know. I don't think they are quite the same. I think there's, there's flaws there. I, partly it's injuries. I think John Stones being out and Kevin De Bruyne being out are, are two huge things. Erling Haaland, obviously, papers over a huge amount of cracks even when cracks are there so his his recent absence hasn't helped him either but I thought that they they played pretty well last night um, certainly going forward they had a, a bit more fluidity but I, I think the worry is is defensive and, and I think that's really been the issue all season that they don't look defensively as solid as, as they have done they don't seem to hold the ball as well which I guess is going to happen when you you, you, you sort of go almost to a, a Pula-style four centre-backs or three centre-backs plus Carl Walker uh, at the back, that, that maybe those spaces aren't quite as compact as they have been. Um, but they seem to make defensive errors. I mean, the, the goal, the Everton goal last night, um, City had seemed in relatively comfortably in the game without playing brilliantly. And then just a very strange, sloppy goal for them to concede with a mistake by Rodri, who you know normally is the, I'd say over the last 18 months, has probably been their most effective player. So... Uh, no, they're not quite the same. I think they're are they two points worse off at this stage than they were last season. It's not that different, uh, but they had scored a lot more goals last season. Um, and yeah, you know, they had the. So I think the World Cup was quite useful for them last season in terms of giving them time to reset. And I know it sort of took about a month or maybe six weeks after the World Cup before they hit that great run of form when Stones did start in that new role, stepping in the midfield. Uh, and I think we probably can expect them to improve, but their fixture list is really weird. I don't know if you've noticed this. No. That um, so from from Christmas through to March the well the weekend of March the second, those fixtures aren't fine like exactly when they are. But that first weekend in March, when they have a Manchester derby, um, the only and, and this might be slightly. I looked at this two weeks ago, so positions might have slightly changed since then. Mm. But the only team they were playing in the top half of the table in that. That's sort a of two and a half month span. Was is, is Newcastle, uh, which comes up? Uh, I think it's the first first round of league fixtures in January. Well, they're playing Newcastle. I think Newcastle's Newcastle's next two games are, are Liverpool away and then Man City at home in the league. Yeah, and then there's a cup mm-hmm. game in between those two. Oh, we're good. Uh, for good. I, I look forward to it. Um, so they've they've actually got a. They don't. They probably don't have to be that good to look like they're putting a really good run together. And these things, I think, are often self-perpetuating. That once you start playing well, you carry on playing well. But what it does mean is that through March and April, they suddenly hit a really hard run of fixtures, and that comes at a, at a bad time for them, given that's obviously when the Champions League hits hits its you know its, its toughest patch. So uh, I, I think if they're not in a pretty strong position by the beginning of March, then they really could be struggling. Mm, but they they will be though you know I they mean, should they, be they should be absolutely yeah, yeah but but they haven't been quite as impressive as they have been over the last four or five years when you i mean some some people might look at a fixture list like that and and think well you know it looks like a 
they've nice arranged things nicely for Manchester. So you probably the same people who would look at the penalty they got last night and thought, well, that was nicely arranged for Manchester City. Um, did you see anything controversial about the penalty? No, not really. Um, it looked slightly strange because the the leg that was hit was a sort of static leg. But if you get hit on your standing leg, it's still a foul. You, know, you don't have to fall over. Are you of... talking about the, the penalty that Chelsea were given? Oh, sorry, I am. After sorry. Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, the handball penalty. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the arm was up. Like, if it hadn't been given, I could sort of... I, I guess the, what you always compare with this is the Romero handball against Manchester United. Mm. Um, where, where I have to say, I don't really understand why that, that wasn't given. I think in that case, when your arm is up like that, it is sort of out from your body. Yeah, there's not a huge amount of distance, but your hand is in a position where you know, if you were a goalkeeper going to stop that shot, that's where your hand would be. And and so I'm I'm, I'm slightly minded to be less sympathetic for that. Look, if it hadn't been given, I, I don't think it would have been a massive scandal. But I certainly don't think it's a scandal that it has been given. I think it's one of those probably should be given. But okay, it's not an absolute 100% cast iron, but I'd, I'd say it's a good sort of 70, 80% penalty. Yeah, no, I, I actually didn't think the penalty was that controversial given the type of penalties that they have usually been giving. Uh, it seems, yeah, you know, that's they're going to give a penalty for that probably. It's just that, you know, there have been other ones recently where penalties haven't been given. We, we're already into this. Sorry, I, I want to try and stay away from this. I do sense that it's getting worse, though, this kind of... Um, uh, you know, pa- paranoid fever about the direction of decisions, and it always seems to go Manchester City's way. <laughs> you know, uh, what did you think of the? I don't think we asked you about this. The recent sort of clarification by Howard Webb that it would be okay for referees to keep doing these little learners in uh, different countries um, that you know caused controversy when it was uh, realised that a bunch of them who who had uh, been involved in the you know, offside, non-offside thing in the Liverpool Spurs game had just returned from Abu Dhabi. Well, speaking of somebody who is a freelance, I'd be very reluctant to say other people can't freelance. Um, Are these guys not full-time employees, though, of, of, of people? Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a contractual issue that, that you know, I, I don't know the details of. Um, I, 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 I sort of suppose my point is I don't, I don't mind them doing the odd extra game. The issue comes when it's when the the body paying for them to make those trips and do those games also owns a club in, in that league, which is gets back to the whole issue of state sponsorship um, and you know, state ownership of clubs. So I, I don't know. I, I guess if if you want the referees to to be exclusive to your league, I mean, a you can't do that because they will want to do UEFA competitions and FIFA competitions, and clearly they should do those. Um, and, and I, I guess is is there a point at which you, you know, so okay you're you're a centrally contracted Premier League referee you cannot do other games. What about during the summer? Is it not good maybe for referees to have a couple of months where they take they time off, off and, touch grass, you know, um, or, or, or keep their eye in, learn a different style of football, educate themselves, uh, keep fit. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think the problem is when you get a perceived conflict of interest. Um, and which obviously comes with City and Newcastle, uh, and and I guess probably you do have to ban that. But then you have an issue: of can you really ban referees from going to one country but but not another? Um, or may, maybe you have to put in place. I, I think at the very least, you have to be very sort of strict controls about how many games you do in a week. I don't think it's a good idea for them to be you know doing a game in 
Saudi Arabia on the Friday and then coming back and doing Newcastle on the on the Saturday or the Sunday. I think they probably need the gap because it, physically it must be quite a demanding thing to referee a Premier League game of football. Um, probably two games a week or yeah, one at the weekend, one in the midweek is is about right. It's just that issue of where you do them, and I, I don't, I don't sort of yeah. There's this long history of um, British referees going to, for instance, Argentina. Uh, they, they were perceived as being better referees, fairer referees, and so they get shipped over. Obviously, that would be a, you know, a long process of three or four weeks on the boat. Um, and I think in some ways, learning a, a different football culture, it's as healthy for referees as it is for players. Yeah. Uh, yeah, although you the, didn't the, have, the, of course, you didn't, you didn't have, you know, um, Argentine owners of um, first division clubs. But, but yeah, absolutely. That, that, that is the issue, the, 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 the perceived conflict of interest, which, you know, Referees have to be seen to be beyond suspicion, which they're not. Which they're not. Yeah. Mm. Uh, just uh, one other uh, question arising from that. I see Adam Crafton putting up a poll, which people have directed my attention to. Um, if you could have only one at their best, who would it be? Bernardo Silva, David Silva, Thiago Silva. Ah. Uh... I mean, I suppose I'm looking at my squad and seeing where the holes are, but... No, I mean, it's it's just a question of... Well, I, I'd say best. Bernardo's better than David. Well. And they're, they're more comparable because they're in a more similar position. Maybe Thiago Silva, is absolute pomp, was better than either, but... Um, well, I'll give, you the, I'll give you the results of this. Okay. Uh, One-eighth of people would have gone for Thiago Silva. Um, two-thirds of people would have gone for David Silva, meaning more than three times as many people um, prefer David Silva to um, those like you and also me. Well, people like... Who prefer Bernardo? People like pretty things, not practical things, don't they? So what's your what's your um, what's your basis for Bernardo Silva? Because actually, because when I saw this result, obviously I I was annoyed by it, <laughs> and then and then I started looking. At, I, I started doing some basic statistical comparisons just to remind myself, you know, of the um, David Silva. Of course, it's been so long, and uh, you know, if you if you just look at their basic stats, you might end up with the impression that David Silva was a bit better than Bernardo Silva. You know, they're kind of similar, but Silva's just a bit better. Uh, why Why would you go for uh, Bernardo? I mean, I'm not as down on David Silva as, as I think you are. Uh, I, you know, I think he was a, a very effective, very good, yeah, very attractive player to watch. Um, but I think Bernardo is so smart tactically um, that, that, that that gives him the edge. The fact he can play you know, either wide position up front, pretty much anywhere in midfield. Uh, I know the experiment with him at left back didn't work, but the fact that Guardiola is prepared to try him there suggests you know, what what he thinks about his his, his tactical now. So I think in terms of pressing, Bernardo's way better. Uh, I mean that finish last night was a extraordinary well, finish. So he's the got thing the technical about, ability. The thing about that finish was right as soon as you saw the ball come to Bernardo Silva, you knew this is a goal. You know, you just I just had no doubt that Bernardo Silva was going to execute that quite difficult. I mean, it's it's not that difficult, but he's under a bit of pressure, physical pressure, um, and he shrugs that off and just flights it in coolly. You're like, that is exactly what I expected was going to happen there. 
Yeah, and, and also there's ways of scoring that goal where you think uh, maybe the keeper could have got back. There's no way. What you want to see initial mistakes being made by Pickford. There's no way he's getting back with that finish. He's hit hard enough at the right height. You know, it's the perfect finish. Uh, so I think he's got all the technical ability. Does he? I mean, if he does, he maybe slightly lack the the imagination of David Silver, but maybe, maybe, maybe that's just sort of a projection of, you know, he's a sort of grittier, more terrier-like figure than the silky David Silver. Uh, I, 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 I just like the way he wins the ball. You know, I, I think he's he's very, very smart, works very hard, does every bit of the modern attacking midfielder's job exceptionally well. Yeah, okay. Uh, just on Everton, because we, I mean, Everton obviously have been on this incredible run of form um, recently. Uh, you know, ever since really this this ten point deduction, you know they've, uh, you know it's just been this magnificent show of of defiance, uh, which has sort of propelled them to safety. You think is it is it do they need to? I mean, because the thing is, they are only like a point. Or, <laughs> what is it? Two points above relegation? No, one, one point, and and I yeah. think Leeton have a game in hand. Uh, you know, the, which is the you know the Bournemouth game, which obviously had to be abandoned because of the Tom Lockyer. Uh, incident. I mean, Everton's actual um, record, actual record, you know, looking at their performance is good enough for 10th above Chelsea. So, you know, do they have any it, it, they, sh- they should be fine. The danger is that, that they sort of think, or people start to think, oh, the job's done, which it isn't. Yeah, you know, they still need to get those points. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, 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 they've only lost, I'm right to say they've only lost two games since the, since the point deduction was announced, which was the Manchester well, United got, game and lost the, the last- City game. The, yeah, yeah, they've lost two in a row, right? Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, the the the, the, uh, the boxing, the, the one just before Christmas, yeah. Um, but yeah, even those two games against City and, and United, they they played well enough to have got something out of the game. Okay, they've been a, a bit fortunate to get something out of City, but they could easily have got something out of United, even though they lost three 0 So I wouldn't be too worried. They 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 could do with getting Calvert Lewin scoring goals. That's that's a problem for them. The mm. fact that he just cannot score at the minute. But the way that that midfield's working, I think Dakure and Anana look really good in there. Tottenham was the other game. Tottenham was the other game. Tottenham, so yeah. And, and so it's the three looked, good teams, and they, they could easily take re- something from. They played that really game, well yeah. in the Tottenham game. Yeah, and we're probably unlucky. We're definitely unlucky to lose it. Yeah. So I, I think on how well they're playing, that they they shouldn't be a problem. But if you appoint them for relegation zone, you have to be concerned. Now, it's it's obviously yeah. You look at a team at a point before relegation zone and say, well, you probably can't just replicate the form of the first half of the season, the second half of the season to be fine. But Everton, of course, can because they've got, they've, in reality, they've got 10 points more than that. So they can even afford a slight drop-off. Uh, I mean, I, realistically, I still think those three, the three teams who are down there are significantly worse than anybody else in the league. I know that there's been little flickers from, from Luton recently, maybe slightly... Um, uh, it's like less impressive flickers from from Burnley. Sheffield United are doomed. I know they've had a, a slight sort of uplift under yeah. under Wilder, but they, they're just not. They just don't have the players. Um, so I, I still think it'd be those three to go down, and I think it would take it would take a pretty significant downturn for for Everton to to get sucked back in. The danger is yeah. were they to I don't know where this has gone, but there was talk that they could be facing another point deduction. I presume now that's dragged on so long that if that were to happen, it would be next season rather than this season. And, and you know, I, I confess my understanding of FFP um, is is too limited to sort of make any sort of judgment on 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 how likely that is. 
Okay. Well, um, Newcastle United lost uh, to Nottingham Forest. Uh, Nottingham Forest uh, at home. Nottingham Forest do not win away uh, very often. Um, this is two defeats in a row for Newcastle, who also lost to Luton, not another team they shouldn't uh, be losing to. They go to Anfield on New Year's Day as their next match. Is Eddie Howe still doing a great job? Um, well, they've lost eight of the last 12, and that doesn't sound that great. I think there are mitigating factors, but then you know, a lot of clubs have mitigating factors. Are their injuries worse than, say, Manchester United's injuries? Are they worse than Tottenham's injuries? Tottenham, um, yeah. I mean, I was thinking, I was thinking of, I was thinking of Tottenham. I mean, Tottenham did have a have a really bad patch where they lost four out of five, but you know, they've they've won four and then won three in a row on either side of that run. So they, you know, they haven't uh, ever sort of had this type of uh, slump that Newcastle are in. Uh, and I, I guess the worry is this sort of thing did happen at Bournemouth as well. They go on, yeah, Eddie Howe's Bournemouth were going long runs without winning. A very different situation. Um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit like what we were saying about City potentially getting on a run over the next two months and that being the momentum being self-perpetuating. It, it feels that Newcastle have got the reverse of that, that the injuries and, and various suspensions caused, uh, caused damage to their form and they're really struggling to pick the momentum up and everybody's now knackered. And because the results are going badly, they feel the tiredness more. I mean, Kieran Trippier's drop-off has been extraordinary. I mean, he was so good for... Yeah, the first year and a bit after he joined them. And then he's cost them, what, is it six goals he's cost them in the last four games? Yeah, uh, and, and again against Forrest, I think he was playing on... Well, I think, yeah, that, that, that first goal he wasn't... I think his positioning was a bit weird as, as Gibbs White went through and released Alanga. Alanga clearly had him for pace, which, you know, Trippi's pace is one of the things you, you, you think uh, is, a, is, a, is a strength. I guess that's slightly diminishing as he gets into his 30s. But it, what, what struck me about the Forest game was um, it was a bit the same, a bit similar to the Milan game. Just how often a runner found space and could get in behind them. Um, and I know the Milan game sort of lost shape late on because Newcastle were desperately chasing a goal. And and, 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 and yeah, fair enough. I, I, I understand why they were gambling their Europa League qualification to try and get Champions League qualification. I, I think that's a fair enough gamble. Uh, so maybe it's it's not entirely fair to judge him on the, last, on the last 15 minutes of that game. But just, just the the way Alanga and Gibbs-White just ripped through them over and over again. And that suggests something to do with the, the makeup of that midfield, perhaps possibly because the fullbacks aren't pushing up quite as high as they were to support the midfield. The fatigue sort of means they, they as, as a game gets into the last half hour, they just can't track as, as well. Mm. Um, so there's... There's, there's big problems there. Next two league games are, are extremely tough. And then between them, we've got the cup game. The cup game is a horrible game for them because Newcastle could win that game 5-0. And yeah, they, they, they'd love that. They'd enjoy that. But yeah, they, they're, they're a division above Sunderland and they're inflated by their Saudi millions. It's not going to be a devastating defeat for Sunderland were, were they to get hammered. Yeah. But on the other hand, if Sunderland win, it's a game that Sunderland fans are not going to shut up about for... For decades, yeah, yeah. Well, what can you talk to me a little bit about the situation, Sonder? Because um, someone we were talking about recently uh, in a different context popped up there. It's the manager, Michael Beale, is the new manager. What were your thoughts when when uh, Bealey got the nod? Uh, it sort of makes sense. I mean, his record at QPR was was very good before he was, um, you know, enticed away by Rangers. 
Uh, I think the the level of anger that the QPR fans still feel towards him for as they see it, that betrayal suggests how popular he was there. Um, I, mean, I think they were top of the championship, weren't they, weren't they when he when he left? Uh, I think he plays the type of football that Kevin Louis Dreyfus, the owner, wants to see. Um, the the whole club is now very very data driven. I mean, in a, they're kind of like a low budget Chelsea. They've bought a load of kids, and that's sort of both very exciting at times, but also a, a problem. Um, and selling, I mean, they sold Danny Bat to, to Norwich, for, who was the only really sort of senior centre back. I mean, Dan Ballard's becoming that, but Bat was sort of the very much the experienced man at the back. Selling him, it, it's it, it didn't seem much logic to that. It, it seemed that he was sort of the, the the leader at the back, particularly with Corey Evans still injured and, and now looking very unlikely he'll he'll ever come back uh, with his after his knee injury that he got at the end of last season. Um, so I, I guess Beale fits the project. I, th- I think um, that had been an issue with Tony Mowbray that there was certainly no fan outcry against Mowbray. Maybe a certain section of the away support was getting a little bit frustrated. Um, but Mowbray, I think, had started to get a bit frustrated at the absence of a centre-forward. I mean, Sunderland still haven't had a goal from a centre-forward this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the goals come from Jack Clark down the left. I mean, Bellingham occasion, Joe Bellingham. Uh, yeah. So Jude's brother. I have to ask are, about this guy. Well, yeah. look, he's he's. If he wasn't called Bellingham, he wouldn't be getting the press he's getting. Really? He, he, <laughs> but look, he, he's he's good. He's really good. He's seventeen. He's he's like his brother in, in being physically very dominant. He's clearly technically very good. But I, I, I that all sounds great. Yeah, but he's not as good as his brother. Um, yeah, he, he's he's a decent. Yeah, if he was, if he was a normal seventeen-year-old, you think yeah, he's he's a pretty good seventeen-year-old. He, you know, he maybe will get half a dozen eight goals in the season. See in a couple of years' time how good he is. He's being overhyped because of, he, he's very good, but he's not quite as good as he's being hyped to be. The fact he's on every list of young players watching the championship, I think, is is slightly premature, slightly overdone. Mm. Well, look, they, they that that is that does look a really interesting tie, especially because of the nature of of um, Newcastle's current position, as you know, as you mentioned. But it's also what you where where does Sunderland attack all the time? It's down the flanks. It's through Jack Clark. It's through Patrick Roberts. Where did Newcastle look look slightly vulnerable at the minute? It's in the fullback position. Jack Clark running at Kieran Trippier. That should yeah. be good for Sunderland. Patrick Roberts he will score four brilliant goals a season and do nothing else with the ball. But he will dribble and dribble and dribble and dribble. And him dribbling at Dan Byrne. I mean, I guess maybe Livermore plays in that game. That again would seem a good thing for Sunderland. So. Yeah, suddenly got nothing to lose in that game, and that that's a, a rare position to be in. In what what maybe feels maybe the biggest time we derby for thirty four years since the playoff semi final in nineteen ninety. Mm. Uh, that's that's the Marco Gabbiadini game. Yeah, Gabbiadini or Gates thirteen, Gabbiadini eighty five. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I am wondering though, um, as I look at the uh, at Eddie Howe situation. You know, we mentioned Tottenham. You are going to see Tottenham tonight. Uh, they're playing Brighton. Um, Brighton and Newcastle have something in common that Tottenham don't have, and that is that they have been playing twice a week for most of the season. Whereas Tottenham, um, the best thing that uh, that that Tottenham last season left to Ange Postecoglou as he took over was the season out of Europe. So the result is that Tottenham have played nineteen matches this season so far. Newcastle played twenty eight. And this might be one of the reasons why um, Spurs seem to be dealing a little bit better with their injury crisis than Newcastle have. When I look at Brighton, 
Brighton won f- five of their first six in the Premier League. Remember, they're absolutely sensational. They've won two out of 12 since. And the good run, I mean, the five out of six, this, the fifth win in that sequence was September 24th, which was the weekend after their first Europa League game. So they're in this situation, I kind of feel as though playing twice a week is death for these for these teams. If you don't have like a super squad, you're actually going to look like idiots uh, after, after a while, if you see what I mean. Like this, is this um, a kind of a, a massively understated factor in the relative performance of these teams at this point? I mean, it's definitely a major factor. I don't know if it's if it's an understated factor. I think Brighton have, have uh, I think they've done it the right way around. I think they've they've recognised that Europe. Yeah, you know, it's the first time they've ever been in Europe. It's 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 massively exciting for them. They they got a, got a, the perfect draw to get big names in Ajax, Marseille, Ajax Athens as well, and beat all those teams. And, they, and okay, none of them none of them are of the clubs that they have been even fairly recently. They're they're all clubs on a bit of a low ebb, so they're all there to be beaten. But Brighton have beaten them, and that's yeah. What what a if you're a Brighton fan, I mean I'm slightly putting words in their mouth here, and, and, and maybe. Maybe you should talk to Brighton. But my assumption would be, if you're a Brighton fan, you will remember beating Ajax or beating Marseille forever. Whereas, you know, beating a 1-0 win over Brentford in the league, you've forgotten by the time you got home. Uh, so I think they've, they've got it absolutely right. And I think even from an economic point of view, if you're, if you're thinking about projecting the club to a bigger audience, projecting the club to Europe, yeah, sure, if you, if you beat... You know, Liverpool or Manchester United or somebody, that that will do wonders for your stature. But the thing that, that sort of cements you in people's minds as a serious club is progress in Europe, even if it's only the Europa League. And, I mean, there's no real reason why they can't go very deep in that competition. You, know, you compare them to, say, I don't know, when Fulham got to the final in, when was that, 2011? Uh, 20, um, yeah, they, they lost to Madrid, I think it was 2010-11, maybe 2010. Um, but yeah, that run, Fulham, yeah, when they beat Juventus, they beat Juventus 4-1 at home. Yeah. Um, that's the greatest night in Fulham's history, isn't it? So you, you can have those nights. Why would they not want that rather than, you know, okay, we finished 10th rather than finishing 12th or whatever, or finished 8th rather than finishing 10th. Yeah, I, I think I think for, for a club like Brighton, it's absolutely right to focus on Europe. Um, and, and yeah, the, 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 their squad has... Has I think struggled to, to to carry that weight, but I think that was inevitable. I don't I don't think anybody sort of talking about Deserby being under pressure or anything. And I actually think that you have know, the three clubs that you mentioned there: Tottenham, Newcastle, Brighton. What all of them have been very good at uh, is making everybody at the club feel involved. So when Newcastle turned back to Jamal Lascelles, who hadn't been in the team for ages, he played really well. Um, Tottenham getting. Lacelso to play really well. You Brighton have you know seemingly endless, extremely talented South American seventeen-year-olds who mm. can just drop in who play extremely well. And you contrast that to say Tottenham under Conte, where you know half the people he's picking every week he clearly hated. Uh, so I, I, I think that sort of sense of inclusivity. This is a squad of twenty-five people. It's not my little core of five or six, and all the rest of you here on sufferance. I think you're seeing all of them have benefited from that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, though, I do wonder about it, about a little bit of what it... Okay, I was thinking this watching Aston Villa against uh, Manchester United. Um, 
the kind of things that Aston Villa were doing in that game, in particularly as it as it went on, it looked as though the the kind of game plan had become too difficult for them. Like the kind of passes they were giving away, the kind of mistakes they were making, it, like they can do these sorts of things when they're at top form, but tired with a lot of games in their legs and you know a lot of games in the calendar. They it was like it was kind of a level beyond what they were capable of doing, and they, and I thought the same thing looking at Brighton. I mean the 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 goal that Brighton gave away against Crystal Palace was was nonsense. You know what I mean? This was um, uh, a few days back. They drew one all with, with uh, Palace. Welbeck scored a, a lovely header to equalise in that game. But the goal that they gave to Palace to, to start off was just a nonsense uh, goalkeeper pass into a, a dangerous area. Mistake, mistake. Uh, Michael Elise, I think the ball comes to... Michael Elise, a player a little bit like Bernardo Silva in that when when he gets the ball in a certain position, you have no doubt that he can now execute the, the pass that's on, which he did. Palace scored. Um... But you're you're looking at that thinking, okay, this is really stupid. Like I, you know, what whatever about the style of football being brilliant? Do you maybe have to make some concessions to fatigue in the way that you actually approach games? Like, is it asking too much of players to kind of do to to repeatedly do these these things that require incredible concentration for ninety minutes and like top execution uh, in high risk situations? <laughs> Even, you know, in the depths of winter when everyone's been playing every three days for the last two months. I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I don't, and I don't, I don't quite know how, how data-driven coaches do adjust. But it's occurred to me this season, I think, well, there's two, two sort of separate but related points. So the first one, which is, is maybe the more, the more obvious point, is that, I mean, this goes back to something Johan Cruyff said when he was Ajax manager in the late 80s. And he was getting Stanley Menzo as goalkeeper then to 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 play outside his box to play as a sweeper keeper as we now call them. And you know, a couple of times a season, Menzo would be beaten by you know a, a forty yard lob because he'd be yeah you know, twenty five yards from his goal. And you have know, a press with ah oh, you know he's miles out of his goal. Why is he come out? And and Christ's point would be uh, look, the, the the you accept the risk of that happening a couple of times a season for the benefits you get of being able to play the higher off sideline because he he's sweeping up behind it. Uh, and, and also, from an attacking point of view, he can initiate attacks. And so we you know, we have a tendency, as people watching football, to see the obvious and, and you know, an obvious mistake. We'll we'll jump on, and we'll perhaps ignore the you know, the, 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 the the slightly subtler benefits. Um, and I think you see that across a, a range of. Uh, you know, I think you see it in, in, in gambling, for instance, that people focus on potential massive downsides. While ignoring the incremental positives that actually over time become become bigger, but I, I think almost what data has done to us is, is is take that too far. That we now sort of accept, oh yeah, actually passing out from the back, goalkeepers playing high high off the line. This is all sort of good. This is all for the general benefit. These are minute things that we we maybe can't quite sort of see, but we sort of know are happening. And yes, every now and again you'll concede a soft goal, but but that's why you just have to keep going with the process. And I, I do wonder now if we've somehow stopped seeing the mistakes and we sort of let people off mistakes, these obvious mistakes, too easily. And I, I think it was I think it was you who alerted me to it, the the um, Jorge Valdano column in El País, where and he's obviously exaggerating slightly, but it's only slightly that people are more prepared to take risks in their own box than the opposition box. 
And that seems to be a very, a very data-driven thing. And then the related point is, I think the great managers of, yeah, even 20, 25 years ago, one of their, one of the things they were best at was sort of smelling the mood of a game and capitalizing on that or seeking to change that. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you a modern example of that. When, and this is not a manager I often praise, but I, I, I thought I thought this was what he got absolutely right. When Solskjaer took Manchester United away to PSG and United needed a goal in the second half. He didn't, he didn't go for it. He waited. He waited, exactly. He knew that if they needed one goal with 15 minutes to go, PSG would bottle it. And he waited and waited and waited and PSG got more and more nervous. And then that last 15 minutes suddenly tore into them. I mean, it's a slightly iffy penalty they eventually get, but... They get the goal because PSG panic, uh, and th- that that struck me as being a very smart reading of the the emotion of the game. And um, I so I, I thought, uh, and, and I guess I was I, I was sort of reading too much into it. But the Tottenham Chelsea game, when Tottenham go down nine men and they still play with that incredibly high line, I thought that was Postecoglou reading the emotion of a game and, and saying like, these Chelsea forwards. They cannot score one-on-ones. They all panic all the time. And if we keep giving them one-on-ones that they keep missing, that's just oh. going to make it worse. It'll yeah. really, it, they'll crumble. But then there was the Kukurea chance and about a quarter of an hour to go and the score was still 1-1. And I thought then, right, stop. Like, it's, it's gone too far now. They're picking you off. They've worked it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't do that. So, uh, look, it's it's very easy to say watching on telly. I don't even know if that was what he was trying to do. You're probably going to lose once it's down to nine, but I did think he made it a bit too easy for Chelsea. No, I mean, there's one thing. Well, I, 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 I think that last 15 minutes is when he should. I, I, I really admired the gamble the first half hour, but I think he should have been ready to pounce as soon as he saw, yeah, they've worked it out. And he didn't do that. But the, the gamble itself, I thought, was a really smart way of playing on the emotion of the game. Mm. Uh, and of course, it's a very hard thing to quantify. So if it goes wrong, you just look like a fool. You just look a fool. Yeah, and, and I, th- I thought what he got wrong there was he, he kept going with it. Um, but I, I sort of think the coaches who, who are uh, everything is about data that they they set up the pressing structures because data's told them where, how to set it up. Um, it, it must be very hard then to say, well, this is my process. We stick to the process. Apart from now, because I think that lot are bottling it. And therefore, we're going to do this. Uh, and, and I think a coach who can marry the two will be very, very successful. And I think even maybe it's what Guardiola sometimes has struggled with. You know, his, the way that when his teams go wrong, they often go wrong by conceding two or three goals in, in quick succession because the emotion of the game has gone against them. And he somehow, he, you know, he doesn't have the, the Roy Keane style figure to, to grab the game by the neck and say, like, this isn't happening. We, you know, we, we, we're just going to make sure, you know, whatever, whatever force of will will stop them scoring in the next five minutes, we're going to do that. Well, because Guardiola's players are, are these sort of Bernardo Silva style automata, uh, who, you know, who do their, you know, who understand the tactics of it. They understand, right, this happens, I have to do that. Or if he's doing that, I have to do this. But they somehow don't quite have that emotional intelligence that, that Mateo Keane had. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think, that maybe is is the next sort of innovation. Will be a, a manager who can who can sort of smell the the mood of a game. Read again. the room. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you've mentioned Joaquin. You mentioned Solskjaer. I mean, we're, we're kind of we're dancing around this. It's time to talk about Manchester United. <laughs> What's what spirit? What country? A Christmas miracle from Manchester United. I was watching this game. They were two 0 down to Villa. 
I thought, this is incredible. Like, they're 2 0 down, you know, in the first half. Uh, we're we're at we're at, we're we're at Christmas. They've lost fourteen out of twenty seven matches. I mean, that's I I obviously assumed that they would lose the game having gone two 0 down. Um, I uh, I didn't have the, the the faith in their second half performance that was demonstrated by Patrice Evra on Amazon, who said he wouldn't be surprised if they won three two. I would have been surprised. They did win three two. I was surprised. Um, a huge win, obviously. The the thing is that it happens in the context of. The announcement of the Ineos um, takeover or their their takeover of the sporting side, a twenty five percent investment in the club, and now Sir Big Jim is is calling the shots uh, on the football side. So obviously, we don't know exactly how that's all going to play out, and it sounds like a slightly complicated. It's it's obviously an unusual arrangement, um, but it could be a huge moment for the club. I mean, this is the effective end of the Glazers failed sports administration at least is the possibility of major change like they haven't seen in decades and they've been this is a club that's been so bad for so long on this front that there is absolutely massive upside even if Ineos managed to be merely you know mediocre or like half decent <laughs> you know this could be a transformative moment yet I see I'm struggling to understand this so much of the reaction I saw and I'll give Gary Nibbles as an example uh, focused on an aspect of it that I just didn't get the significance of. Maybe you can enlighten me. Manchester United 2023 has been a disgrace to the end, tweets Gary Neville. The timing of this is truly awful, and no functioning organization would even think about it. This, by the way, is on Christmas Eve. The, obviously, their winning as Villa was two days later. Anyway, all the best to Jim All the very best to Jim Ratcliffe. I hope he can somehow work out a way to get the club right again and back to being something respectable on and off the pitch. But the point he makes there about the timing... What is significant about the timing? This is a this is a, a thing that had been, uh, you know, in the pipeline for weeks and weeks, and everyone was sort of waiting for it to be finalized or whatever. And then they make this announcement, and suddenly all I see is loads of people going, "The timing of this stinks." I don't get it. No, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I get. Are they talking about the fact that the transfer window is just about to open? Because you know, surely. So Big Jim's people, Dave Brailsford, whoever's doing it, has been thinking about potential transfer targets just in case they got it done for the start of January. And in that case, well, they have got it done for the start of January. It's not, it's not that Dave Brailsford was sitting there watching that game against Villa and that's the first time he's ever seen United play, surely. If, if it is him making the decisions. Like, surely they've been studying this for months, years. So, I, I, I mean, it seems to me that in terms of timing, you get it done as quickly as you can while making sure that you know, you've you've worked out how it's going to going to work in practice, and you want to get that done first, you don't want it to be a mess, you know, in, in six months' time or a year's time. And I, I still think there's there's a lot of potential for friction. I mean, the document they released was it was, it was two hundred forty one page document, wasn't it? That the poor Mark Richley had to go through and pick out all the key points, um, explaining how the relationship is, is going to work and who's in charge of what and who has right of veto on what, and who, you know. Um, I think it's a very, very complex thing to do to buy a quarter of anything, um, yeah. and know know exactly what that quarter to is. Buy a qu- so- to buy a quarter of anything, but then to kind of have control over the sort of key aspect of the thing that you that someone else owns seventy five percent of is is um, is very unusual. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, yeah, I've 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 bought this cheesecake, but I own all of the biscuit base. It's a very 
you know, it's 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 a very unusual. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know huge amounts about high finance. Maybe maybe it's more common than I think. But I'm, I'm not aware of anything like that ever in football before. So of course it takes time to get it right. And and the last thing you want is for it to be rushed and then you know, suddenly one of the Glazers is is sacking a manager that Dave Brailsford wants to keep on, um, or sort of imposing a, a sporting director that, that nobody wants, uh, or saying, "Oh, okay, have you seen that Cristiano Ronaldo's contracts run down? We we, we get him again." You know, mm. you you have to have those those lines as clear as possible. So I, I think it takes as long as it takes, and and in some ways, I think the timing is quite good that they they do have a, you know a full transfer window, and as I say, they must have been working on plans surely if they haven't then maybe they are going to be terrible owners but you know as you say i think even mild competence will go a long way as an improvement yeah um well i mean i, I don't know if they've been reading uh, laurie whitwell in the athletic over the last uh, few days <laughs> absolutely incredible piece in there about this uh i would say a great corporate survivor uh, john Murto the director of football at Manchester United. He's been there since um, David Moyes brought him in in, in, 20, in the 2013-14 season. This is, uh, I guess this is his 10th or 11th season. They're really amazing reading this article. I mean, they're talking about, or Laurie had, had, had sort of discussed some, how some of these transfer deals went. Um, valued Anthony at 25 million. 25 million pounds. Told Ajax, we're not going to pay any more than 60 million pounds for that guy. Ended up paying 86 million pounds for the guy. Uh, set a price for Mason Mount at 40 million because he had one year left on his contract. Ended up paying 55 million plus 5 million add-ons. In fairness, uh, the add-ons are a million pounds for every time Mount plays 70% of games in a title-winning campaign. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so they may not end up they may not end up having to pay the full, full 5 million there. Um, Hoyland. Uh, now this, Atalanta had told Hoyland he could leave for £50 million. United communicated they would draw the line at £60 million, but then agreed a fee worth £72 million during all-day talks in Bergamo. I mean... This is unbelievable. Uh, it also notes in this article that, that uh, Murto has said he's prepared to work even with reduced authority under the new regime. But uh, I wonder if um, if Big Sir Jim might see him as as dispensable. Yeah, I think I think any revolution needs its sacrifices, and I, I fear John Murto is you know is is ripe for the block. Um, uh, yeah, I I mean the th- thing with, the the other thing in the, in, in Laurie's piece that the was was the, the stuff about the Frankie de Jong? I, mean, I guess we all knew this that that they spent a year or, or several months pursuing Frankie de Jong. Can't get oh, we'll just we'll spend sixty million on Casemiro. Yeah. Um, but just it didn't make just, any sense. I mean, it makes no sense. Casemiro is a different player, different age. Uh, you know, everything about him is different. It, he's not a substitute. He's not the second guy who should appear in the list after if Frankie de Jong is at the top of that list. Yeah, and that's exactly the point that any competent club any any club with a coherent transfer policy you know it's not that you say right these are our three targets we're going to go out and buy them for you know as little money as we can it's you say right we've got these three positions these these three functions we have to to to, to find something to fulfill and you have your shortlist and you have your sort of your idea of, of what that might cost and your idea of what a budget might be and you, you go and you say well we can't Anthony now sounds a bit much and you go to the next one on the list and you find a you know a right-sided uh, forward who, who cuts in and and you know you make clear to Ajax this is not our only option but 
every club seems to see United coming and say, oh, well, you, you know, you haven't got a second choice. So we're going we're gonna to whack the fee up by 25, 30%. And United in a panic because they, they haven't got anything lined up after that. Sort of go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pay that. That seems reasonable enough. Um, it's, they just seem very, very, you know, they're very bad at doing transfer business in putting players together and make a coherent squad, but also just spending absurd amounts of money on it. And yeah, they end up with, you know, with Amrabat as a, as yet another stopgap. You know, it's a, it's a squad where half the players have been brought in as, as stopgaps. And Amrabat, this, you know, they end up potentially paying 25 million euros for, for a player who's clearly not good enough for what they want. And who, you know, Every knew he wasn't good enough, but they, because they haven't managed to 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 isolate a a young up and coming midfielder of his type who whose value might actually get higher, they end up just just spewing that money away. Yeah, it's crazy. But um, I mean, we mentioned Holland there. He uh, okay. They paid quite a lot of money for him. He finally managed to score a goal. It looked like it meant a lot to him. Um, I mean, he's been the subject of one of these uh, kind of social media events, let's say, where he's just been ridiculed, you know. And, and there's this guy, Sean Millis, you know, this um, Australian singer who people keep tweeting kind of memes comparing him to, you know, and the guy's like single went to number one or some nonsense like this. It's just like. I mean, I don't, I don't think players of the past. I mean, he's obviously he can talk to like Harry Maguire about oh, what's this like, you know, when you're when you're when uh, you know the whole world decides that you're like this ridiculous figure and starts to kind of bully you. Um, I mean, we've seen similar sort of stuff with Darwin Nunez when he missed a, a few chances in preseason for Liverpool last year. You know, it's kind of it's kind of a crazy. I mean, I I don't know if you think that this this whole environment is just getting more stupid and insane, or if I'm just getting older and just find just you know I'm having the typical old older person's response to um, to events as I as I get older. Is Hoyland any good? This is the this is the real question. I mean, this is his sixth goal season because he's already got five in the Champions League. Is Hoyland going to be worth that money? I mean, I think they overpaid for him, but that doesn't mean he's a terrible footballer. He may well be a very, very good footballer. I mean, he's See, I, I think he is good. I think he is a good. Well, player. okay, I, but the point is, he's good, and he, but he's only what twenty-one. No, like, he's 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 younger than that. I mean, he's twenty. Yeah, let me sorry, let me check that. Hoyland uh, is twenty. Yeah. So he's a twenty-year-old. Yeah, you know, he obviously is not fully formed. And the idea, yeah, the idea that he should be the only centre forward, the only functioning centre forward at Manchester United—that's not his fault. That's a pressure he shouldn't have to carry. You know, he 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 should be playing. I don't know, starting twenty percent of the games a season, coming off the bench. There should be, I don't know, a, a Robin van Persie, a Ruud van Nistelrooy, a, you know, a, a Wayne Rooney, a, a player of that stature who's leading the line and, and doing most of the work. The idea that it's all suddenly lumped on him is just deeply unfair. And then the idea that because he's missed a few chances, I he, hasn't really even, he, he hasn't actually yeah, yeah. missed that many chances. Yeah. The thing. He's barely got any chances. I mean, he's, they've hardly, <laughs> you know, the kind of goals he scored in the Champions League. I mean, I remember his header was at a Rashford cross and it's like a bullet header. But like he's been in that situation, I think, one time all season and he scored. You know what I mean? And try, try creating these types of situations and he might start scoring a few goals. But and also he's playing in a in a team that's, yeah, it's, it's low on confidence. Nothing's quite working there. Um, I don't. Did you see the Richard Jolly stat that 
Uh, Federico Makeda also scored his first Premier League goal in a win over Aston Villa. A 3-2. In a 3-2 win over Aston Villa. Comeback win over Aston Villa. In a United team that contained Johnny Evans. Um, But you compare the situation then to now. 2009. Makeda coming into the European champions. um, With... Okay, Ronaldo about to leave. But you've, you've got... Rooney there. You've got uh, Tevez was still there then, wasn't he? Yeah. You, no, you, no. You... I, I had Tevez had Tevez left, but no, maybe Tevez was there. But I, what I remember about that Villa game, that this was the three-two Makeda game, was that Manchester United were having what was considered a, a massive crisis because they had, if I recall correctly, lost four-one at home to Liverpool and then had lost to Fulham. Um, so I think they'd lost two games in a row. And this was like, oh my God, what's happening? It's, you know, the, the empire is crumbling. It's all, you know, that was the sort of reaction to Manchester United losing two games in a row. They had lost 13 matches already this season until the, until the Villa game. Like it's a completely different world. You know, it's, it's, in terms of their, the expectations surrounding them and, and their kind of sense of their own, uh, power. You know, <laughs> there's absolutely no comparison between that team and this one. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, you know, I guess there's similar things happening. Maybe it hasn't been um, highlighted quite as much, but with, with Nicholas Jackson at Chelsea, but he's another young player who's being asked to take on far too much responsibility. Nicholas Jackson has missed a load of chances. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I sort of guiltily found myself watching a, 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 a compilation of his misses last night. Um, because I was thinking last night, Nicholas Jackson actually his, his link up play was really really good. There was a couple of really good bits of strength where he held the ball up, held it, held it, played off, played the right pass, and you can see already there's maybe a relationship developing between him and Nkunku. But he's a kid, and and the idea that these kids are being exposed by by clubs who bought badly to this ridicule is just so unfair, so distasteful, and it's just not their fault that they've been given that much responsibility that early. Yeah, another kind of uh, aspect of it that that I I notice more is just the dissemination of fake stuff. Um, now, I don't mean just the usual lies or delusions, which are are totally normal. I mean to, to be expected and and eternal. Uh, but actually, fake um, kind of graphic screen grabs and stuff like this. There was two of them arising out of the recent Liverpool Arsenal game. One of them was a fake. PGMOL apology for the non-penalty that um, was decided not to award for Liverpool for what appeared to be a really blatant penalty um, for the handball by Odegaard. So there was this kind of thing, oh, they've apologised again, can you believe it? And if you looked at it, you're like, no, the font's slightly off, the the language isn't right, you know what I mean, this isn't real. But it it looked real enough to convince lots of people. Then there was um, uh, Endo, uh, you know, because you know the way everything now is like, oh, uh, Saka in the mud or like, you know, Salah can't score a goal without everybody saying how shit Bukayo Saka is by comparison. You know, uh, Darwin Nunez can't miss a chance without people pointing out that actually Martinelli hasn't scored in however long. And likewise, um, uh, Declan Rice and Endo can't share the same pitch without everyone uh, going, well... Endo only costs eighteen million. He's massively outperforming. Right, you know this. Just this kind of really idiotic kind of competitive stupidity, which is algorithmic, 
algorithmically amplified into the kind of nightmare that we all live in now. Um, the, the case with Endo, who did have a good game, um, was someone had just basically created, like, you know, one of those Sky Sports uh, stats things where they go, uh, Liverpool with Endo, without Endo. You know, and they compare the results and the performances across a, a variety of statistical indicators. And it's just completely made up. <laughs> it's like it's a kind of a realistic looking well if you if you look at it you're like well is the font exactly right that some of the some of the layout is slightly off you know you might get this but like i mean if you look at you're looking at the stats and you go, oh, Jesus, this is this is really impressive and then you're looking at other things going hang on have they played this many games or this here says that without endo they've conceded that in the nine games without endo they've conceded three plus goals on six occasions <laughs> you know it's actually happened twice that they've conceded as many as three matches in all competitions this season. You know what I mean? But it was like, this is, the, nevertheless, loads of people are going, oh, look at this. It's unbelievable the impact this samurai is having. You know what I mean? It's like, this is kind of, this is, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, Jonathan. If it, it all feels like it's getting worse, is what I'm saying. It's just, well, it is getting worse. It is getting worse because it's getting easier to do. Um, and I guess that's, I don't know, I guess it's the problem of, of technology. I mean, I'm sure that the, you know, the, the late 15th century version of you was complaining about pamphleteers and, and Gutenberg and, you know, where will it end? Well, the 30 um, Years' War. Yeah, know, yeah, I mean, it didn't the, end there, the but Reforma- it led there. The know? Reformation. Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. should, uh, we should smash the printing presses. We should smash the servers. We should switch it uh, off. Switch it yeah. off. Uh, do you think Arsenal going to do the business? Well, actually, no. Before before I, I do that, Liverpool obviously felt aggrieved, um, not for the first time, uh, by refereeing decisions. Then they they went to Burnley and won there, uh, but had two goals disallowed. I think. Well, actually, maybe I'll get your opinion on those two um, uh, disallowed goals. Did you think they were the correct decisions? Yeah, I did. Oh, actually, sorry, no, that's not true. The offside one I thought was offside. There's a little push in the back. I thought was pretty soft, so I would have allowed the first, but not the second. Well, well, but is this? I mean, this. I mean, the the first. I didn't think should have been disallowed. This was the one that was disallowed for a foul by Nunez, which I didn't really think was a foul. Um, but the second one, that push, the, is that push not a foul? If it's if 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 we're going to consider that to be offside, does the push not become a foul? You say it's soft, but it's enough to pu- it's enough to physically push him into a different. I mean, no, sorry, sorry, I was saying the 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 first one I th- I think is was soft. The second one, uh, so hang on. So the, so, the, so, the, so Mo Salah gets gets uh, pushed by one of the Burnley defenders into an offside position. Now you could say this is like, well, this is kind of clever defending uh, by Burnley because he's he's sort of putting Salah offside here. You know, in in case the he can affect the situation, he's going to be offside, and and that is in fact how the goal got cancelled and in the sense of Salah being offside and blocking the goalkeeper's line of sight that's a correct decision the problem is that what about the, is, a, is a double-handed shove in the back not a foul I mean did we had we not all been through this with the Gabriel um decision uh at Newcastle you know the Joe Linton <laughs> when you show some of the back, yeah that- I, I I guess the point with that I mean I, I, know, I know you mean you're probably right that it probably should then be a penalty but Say that it just happened and the ball had gone out of play. Would anybody have been screaming for penalty? Well, I, probably, I I'm sure some, some some people on the internet definitely would have been, yes. Well, yeah, people on the internet, we, we've already established we can't listen to them. Um, yeah, I mean, it could have been a penalty, but I, I, I sort of, I don't really mind a bit pushing in the box, you know. So just it sometimes, sometimes yes, sometimes no. 
Well, it's, there's always going to be sometimes yes, sometimes no. If, you, if we start penalising every push, then. Mm. Um, but it, this is a, this is particularly one which 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 manages to have a goal ruled out. I mean, the situation is Liverpool have scored a goal, which is which is basically a good goal, but it's going to be ruled out because this defender pushed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in that in that case, maybe but, but you, that, you that's that's post. one of the paradoxes that um, that VAR creates, right? Mm. Um, so, yeah, so, that's a nice way to put it. Uh, uh, just, I mean, yeah, the, 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 there was a. Let, let me get this right. There was um, so this is before VAR came in. Somebody sent me a clip. I can't. I honestly can't remember where it was from. I feel it might have been South Africa. It was. It was, it was a it was rugby union, and. There was a team was leading by like a point with a couple yeah. of seconds to go, and um, there was a, a pass out to the wing. Somebody's going to go in the corner, and somebody shouts to him not to go over because if he goes over, the whole move will be reviewed, and they know that there's been a, a penalty offence and unpenalised earlier, which they wouldn't check, but they will check it because it leads to a try, and that would then lead to a penalty to the opposition. So the way to win the game is to step into touch, which is what he does. Because you, know, you create this paradox of things that will be checked in certain instances and, and, and won't be in others. Mm. So yeah, you, you by pushing somebody offside, a push that normally would be, yeah, you get away with, becomes a penalty of... Penalty offence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can see that Liverpool feel as though they've they've been um, persecuted by the referees all season, um, you know. And and there's a there's a list. There's a list as long as your arm now of of decisions, you know. That, that have ah, but all clubs have this. It's just, just well, they, they they've they're, they're having quite a few of them. But ah, they have a well, well, well. Against um, Arsenal, you know, there was this penalty against Chelsea. There was a, there was a handball sort of waved away by. By your uh, your boy Nicholas Jackson, um, uh, you know in the in the recent in the Tottenham game, obviously that was a, an infamous thing. That was their only defeat of the season. The and what about that, Graham Souness's foul on Sean Elliott in nineteen eighty three? I mean, nobody talks about that anymore, do they? I mean, yes. Yeah. Come on, get over it. No, it's it is it is true. But uh, but the other thing you notice about this is that. Uh, and I, okay, obviously the things aren't completely independent of each other if there are these refereeing decisions and so on. But when they've played big games this season, Liverpool that is, they played Arsenal, that was a draw. They played Chelsea for a season, that was a draw. They played Man City, that was a draw. They played Man United at home, that was a draw. They played Tottenham, obviously they, they lost in, in unfortunate circumstances. Um, Aston Villa, I suppose, is an exception. Maybe they, you know, they played Aston Villa before they realised how big a game it was going to be in the context of this season. They won that fairly comfortably early, early in the season. Well, also, Villa, Villa's away form isn't isn't actually that great. It's a home form that's gotten where they are. So, so there is a difference between playing at Villa Park and playing. They elsewhere. played Brighton uh, earlier in the in the season. That was a, a big game at the time. Brilliant that, game, great. Yeah, game. That was also a draw. So there's a, there is a pattern here. Not only of, of referees, you know, not giving them the decisions they think they should get, it's of them not being able to put away this the type of opposition really that you have to beat if you want to win the league. Yeah, I think there's a lack of precision to their attacking that uh, that's an issue. Um I think they look much better when Diego Jota is there. I think he gives them that calmness that maybe they, they, they otherwise lack. Uh I thought I mean against United I thought they were re- I know they had thirty four chances or thirty four shots, but they were they were really poor that game. Um, it, it, you very quickly got to a situation where you just couldn't see them scoring. Um, and the fact that they were just taking on 25, 30-yard shots repeatedly 
you could see a sort of level of of desperation, frustration there, which I think is is not a good sign. So they 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 may well go on to win the league this season. I think they they're at least as capable of, as as Arsenal, maybe yeah, City. Well, not maybe, but City are still favourites. I think. Um, but the, the, I don't think there's any doubt that this is not a Liverpool team as good as, say, a Liverpool team of two seasons ago. Um, but you, I think you expect that when a rebuild's going on, that the the forward line is is getting there, the midfield's still a work in progress, and maybe the defence need, needs sorting out mm. in, in the next summer. Um, and it, yeah, I guess if you can if you can still challenge in a season where you're going through transition. That's, that's not the worst Yeah, I, I think the season's been going better for them generally than, than I was expecting it to go in the summer. But what about uh, just finally Arsenal? Arsenal playing West Ham tonight. West Ham had a great result um, uh, beating Manchester United. Well, you know, they, they played well, scored a couple of nice goals. Um, generally seems to be going well. Away from home actually have been quite good this season. You know, they've, they've won four and lost four out of nine matches, um, which is decent. You know, they're, they're, they've... they've um, uh, they're they're quite a formidable team, I think, this season. Uh, West Ham, obviously, with some top players. Where where do you think Arsenal are? At? I mean, uh, you know, there, there were, I saw people praising their uh, performance. I, I think the the most the the surprising one to me was was it Theo Walcott at half time of the game saying this has been perfect from Arsenal. I thought, well, has it? I thought they were very good in the first five minutes, and after that, um, weren't really that much. In the game, you know, I didn't, I wasn't hugely impressed by them. I thought they got away with it, you know, in the sense he, there was a penalty thing, there was the Trent Alexander-Arnold massive miss. Um, maybe they should have should have lost that game on the balance of play. And to me, they don't seem quite as convincing as um, as title challengers as, as some other people seem to see them as. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I mean, I think they're defensively more reliable than last season. I think Declan Rice has clearly improved them in midfield. But they they just a little bit a little bit toothless at times. If you can stop Saka and Martinelli, they they're just not that. And people have been stop, people have been stopping Martinelli more often. Not yeah, I mean Odegaard started to play well the last sort of month or so. He's you know he's he's come back in the form, and that, that obviously is a big help. But they they don't have a real sort of hard edge centre forward. I mean, I think Gabriel Jesus does the job he does very very well, but. He's not somebody who's going to get you a goal when you desperately need one. And we don't have one of them to come off the bench you know, in Ketty. I just don't think it's quite that Trossard level. is a kind of a, a genre then. type? Yeah, I mean, Trossard I, I like a lot. And I, I wonder how long before he starts ahead of Martinelli, given Martinelli's stopped scoring. Uh, but maybe maybe Trossard is one of those players who is more effective off the bench. Because uh, he, he always seems to change the game positively for Arsenal when he, when he comes on. But at the minute, they feel very reliant on Saka. And Saka, to me, now feels a very weary player who's every time he goes down you think oh is, is, is that the big injury that's going to rule him out the Euros um, mm. and, and he you know, he does get fouled a lot uh, he so, dished it out a bit at Anfield as well yeah no he's, he has started doing doesn't, doesn't yeah, shy yeah. away from it um, yeah no that's that's, that, that's, that's true um, but I, you know, I think the way that they were shut down by, say, Newcastle, I think teams looked at that and thought, yeah, if you double up on, on their two wide men, then they don't have a don't have a lot of other creativity. And I think Zinchenko's had a had a poor season. Uh, I mean, really struggled with Salah, obviously, but I think even before that, I think has not been particularly convincing in that, that role stepping into the midfield. So I, I 
They probably are better than last season, but whether they're enough better, I'm, I'm not okay. sure. Well, we'll see. Tonight they play West Ham. Should be an interesting game. Uh, Jonathan, thank you, as ever, for joining us in Christmas week to share your thoughts on the state of the game. Cheers. Happy New Year. And you too. The second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.